calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. You're listening to Call of the Herald, book one of the Dawning of Power trilogy, a podcast novel written and read by Brian Rathbone. For more information and additional downloads, visit brianrathbone.com. Thank you for listening. Depression drove Nat back into seclusion. No one wanted to face the truth. Even with the proof visible to all, it sickened him. They would rather die than admit that he had been right all along. In the end, he gave up trying to convince anyone else of the danger they faced. There seemed no point in even trying. Miss Maris, at least, had listened politely, but even she refused to see the truth. Returning to his normal life seemed almost surreal at first but the feeling grew faint over time until he no longer noticed it. After days of blue skies and good fishing, he'd almost been able to forget about his visions and feelings of impending doom. His life had been almost normal, even tranquil. The storm changed all that. Sudden winds had forced him north well beyond the waters he normally fished out to where dangerous currents had been known to carry away craft as small as his boat and pull them into open water. Despite his efforts, he was pushed farther and farther from shore, and with every passing moment, the chances of survival diminished. His only hope lay with a change in the wind. Occasionally he felt a shift in the air, as if a crosswind fought against the storm, and Nat prayed it would win. Lightning splayed across the clouds, illuminating them from within and revealing the intricate structures and formations. Taller than mountains, yet flowing like rivers, the clouds seemed to reach from the sky and attack the sea itself, and Nat shivered. Though he hated the life of a fisherman, longing instead for the life of a scholar, the seas were the giver of life and he quailed at the sight of waterspouts which thrashed the waves, tore them asunder, and tossed them into the sky. As the storm finally passed, the sun began to set. The failing of the light was like a slow death knell for Nat, who was near despair when he saw a sight that chilled his soul. Silhouetted against the orange and purple sky along the edges of the storm 
was a multi-masted warship. Like the image that haunted his dreams, it came to life and gave him reason to fear. Only the sudden shift in the wind gave him any hope. Osborne recovered from his wounds and came with Chase to visit Katrin on several occasions. The boys seemed to feel it was their duty to keep her informed of the happenings in town. Much of the news they brought seemed to have lost all significance in her life. She no longer cared what girls the boys were fighting over or whose father had been thrown into the lockup for being drunk. There were other times, though, when she wished she could achieve the same level of detachment. Nat Derzinger came back from fishing the northern coast and claims to have seen longships on the horizon, Chase said. It was not the first time Nat claimed to have seen longships, only to have them disappear before another ship could verify the sighting. Nat was not the only fisherman to have seen strange ships in the distance, but he was certainly the most vocal about it. He said our ancient enemies, the Jean, are planning an attack. Waving his staff over his head while he ranted, he really went overboard. He said the Herald would destroy the Jean, according to some prophecy. He said the Jean would kill all the inhabitants of the Godfist just to be sure they kill the Herald. Most folks pay him no heed, but some fools actually believe him. Osborne said rumors of unusual occurrences were increasing. A shepherd reported losing half his flock in a single night without ever hearing a sound, and a western village claimed the community well had run dry for the first time in recorded history. Fishermen complained of dangerous shifts in the currents. Fishing was poor for the most part, though some returned with bizarre and unknown fish. They said the strange creatures were caught in warm water currents, unusual for so close to the Godfist, because they normally stayed much farther out to sea. Unsure if the exotic fish were safe to touch or eat, most fishermen threw them back into the sea. Some claimed to have been stung by poisonous fish, and others grew fearful of anything not easily identified. Most simply cut the lines when they brought up something they did not recognize. This year's spring challenges are going to be the grandest ever, Osborne said, seemingly trying to lighten the mood. You should see the new game fields, Cat, and the rows of benches for spectators. Katrin was lost in her own thoughts and barely heard him. Chase elbowed him in the ribs to make him stop. Katrin had participated in the challenges since she was old enough to ride, and most years she qualified for the summer games but this year would be different. She knew she would not be allowed to compete, and she had no need to ask because it was understood. The townspeople did not want her. She was unwelcome. I was thinking about going on an outing, maybe a hike into the highlands, Chase said. Telling stories around a campfire would be more fun than the challenges and a lot less work. Wouldn't you agree, Osborne? Chase asked, elbowing him again. He had known Catherine her whole life, and he knew how crushed she must be. I can't attend the challenges, but that doesn't mean the rest of you shouldn't. I know how much both of you like to compete, and I was looking forward to hearing of your victories, 
she said with a slight catch in her voice, which she had tried to control. They stood and Chase announced, I'm going camping, crossing his arms and inflating his chest. So am I, Osborne said, mimicking Chase, though he didn't look quite as imposing. But, Katrin began, her words were cut short when Chase tackled her. He and Osborne coerced her into submission by means of the dreaded tickle torture. It was the first time Katrin had truly laughed in a long time, and she felt better for the release. Despite her acquiescence, she still needed her father's approval, and she feared he would deny the request. She found him sitting at the table, working his way through a stack of parchment. Katrin sat across from him, waiting for him to finish what he was working on. After a few moments, he looked up from his work and acknowledged her with a strained smile. What's on your mind? he asked in his usual straightforward manner. I don't think I should compete in the challenges this year, she said, and he nodded in silent agreement. Chase and Osborne are boycotting the challenges. They want to spend the time with me instead, she continued, and he raised an eyebrow but remained silent. I was wondering if we could camp at the lake those days, Catherine asked, finally getting to her point. She was always amazed at how much information her father could get out of her without ever saying a word. I tried to talk them out of boycotting, father. Really, I did. But the harder I argued, the the more they argued back, she said with a smile and actually giggled. They made me agree by means of tickle torture. Her father chuckled and smiled briefly. Mmm, tickle torture, you say? That does sound serious. I guess I could let you go for a few days. I wouldn't camp near the lake at this time of year, though. The mosquitoes will suck you dry. It'd be better if you climbed past the lake and continued to the highlands. There's a natural stair near the falls, and a grove of ancient great oaks is due west of there. It's a fine place to camp, and the land is too rocky and dry for mosquitoes to be much of a problem. It's a half a day of walking and climbing, but it would be well worth the effort, he said. Her father had told her stories about the place, but he had always forbidden her to go that far. The closest she had ever ventured was to the very end of the lake, where a large set of falls drained from the river above. There she had climbed the tallest tree and gazed in all directions, but was unable to see the grove. She was genuinely excited about the trip and hugged her father and kissed him on the forehead. Thank you, she said, smiling broadly. He patted her on the shoulder and told her to run along. She retired to her bed and dreamed of ancient trees dancing in the light of a campfire. Jensen piled the last of the lumber near old man Dedrick's barn and gave a wave as he climbed back into his wagon. With all his deliveries done, he had enough time to stop at the watering hole. A mug of ale might make the world look better. And Chase always loved it when he brought home some of Miss Maris's sausage breads. This time of day was a busy time at the watering hole, and the tie-offs were all taken. Jensen guided Shama to the back of the inn. Good afternoon to you, 
Mr. Volker, Strom said as he walked from the stables, but there was an odd look of fear in his eyes, and his voice trembled slightly. We're just about full up. You might want to come back another day. Just the same, Jensen said, looking Strom in the eye. Mind if I tie Shama off back here? Of course, sir, Strom said. Give her a bit of water, Jensen said while removing Shama's bridle. He hooked a lead line to her halter and tied her off to a nearby post. Strom approached with a bucket of water. Some of those inside are looking for a fight, he whispered without looking at Jensen. There's been a lot of talk about Katrin. I'm sorry, sir, I don't believe any of it, and I couldn't let you walk into trouble not knowing it. You're a good man, Jensen said, but he failed to keep the anger from his voice and Strom backed away. Unhook the wagon and saddle Shama for me, he added, handing Strom three coppers. I may need to leave in a hurry. Strom looked as if he would be sick, but at Jensen's nod he began unhooking Shama. Jensen walked to the kitchen door and slowly pulled it open. Miss Maris, ever in control of her inn, noticed him immediately and moved in his direction without actually looking at him. You ought not be here right now, she said. Petram is acting like the fool he is and there's a parade of fools ready to follow him. I won't have you all settling this in my common room. You understand me? I understand, Jensen said, but... He was undeterred. When he stepped inside, Miss Maris threw her hands in the air. I promise you there'll be no fighting, he said. Men, she said. Stubborn mules refused to listen to anyone else. Though her irritation was clear, she did not stand in his way. As he entered the common room from behind the bar, only those at the bar noticed him and none of them seemed interested in what Petram Ross was shouting to anyone who'd listen. Jensen nodded at the men at the bar and then slipped into the crowd. Some turned and glared at him as he pushed his way closer to Petram, but when they saw who it was and the look on his face, they moved aside without a word. Eventually, Jensen found himself standing in front of Petram, and everyone else seemed to be taking a step backward. Enthralled by the sound of his own voice, it took Petram a moment to notice the change in his audience. At first, he seemed annoyed, but then his eyes landed on Jensen, and he instantly took a step back, only to find himself trapped by the hearth he'd chosen to use as a backdrop. Jensen stepped forward, but said nothing. Instead, he glared at Petram with a look that conveyed a host of threats, most of which came from Petram's imagination, which was just as Jensen wanted it. He wanted this man to fear him more than death. Again, he moved forward, and Petram looked as if he wanted to climb up the chimney despite the fire burning in the hearth. If you even look at my niece the wrong way, Jensen said softly, all the while raising his hand, which was held like a claw and moving towards Petram's throat. Just a hand's breath away, he stopped 
and slowly closed his fingers. Petram's eyes bulged as if he were truly being choked. When Jensen finally lowered his hand to his side, Petram ran from the room, leaving a stunned silence hanging over the common room. All eyes were trained on Jensen, and he searched for words, suddenly unprepared. He thought a moment about a little girl who brightened his life and those of everyone around her. She's a good girl, was all he could say through his sudden tears. Those who had been gathered now lowered their heads and dispersed. I guess you might as well eat since you chased off all my customers, Miss Maris said as she brought him a platter of cured meats and cheese. Fools they may be but a fool's gold is as good as any other. Crouched in the darkness, Benjin listened. Only the sounds of frogs and the barking of a distant dog broke the stillness. Creeping into Wendell's cottage, he checked on Catherine and Wendell. Both slept soundly and neither woke. He left as stealthily as he had come. Feeling silly, he walked back to his cottage. Only moments before he had been sleeping soundly, but dreams of terror and loss drove him from his bed, demanding he check on those he loved. Assured of their safety, he returned to his bed, but the dreams returned. When morning finally came, the harsh sunlight seemed to mock the warning of his dreams. Still, he could not shake the sense of foreboding that pressed in on him, suffocating him. With a deep breath, he stood and prepared himself for the day. Chapter 4 The mind can travel farther in a single day than the fastest horse could traverse in a lifetime. Trevin Dahls, Master of the Arts Dense fog hung over the land, holding Katrin's world in its damp embrace. As if on rare occasions she left her usual world and stepped into the world of dreams. Even the calls of the birds and the noises of the farm sounded different, almost magical. Katrin suspected she was not the only one who had such feelings, as her father and Benjen also seemed changed in this other world. Good morning, little miss. Benjen said. Her father stood behind him with a lopsided grin. Go in and get Charger harnessed and bring her out to the wagon, he said. We're going to make a trip to the cold caves. Katrin nodded and went into the barn, a feeling of anger and shame building in her gut. Going to the cold caves had always been an adventure for her and Chase. Some of her fondest memories were of them playing there as children. It had been like a world of their own, a place where adventure and magic were real and where they could explore the depths of the underworld. The rooms filled with blocks of ice had always drawn them, despite the lectures her father and uncle had given about avoiding those very places. She and Chase climbed on top of them and slid across their slick surfaces, which were always wet as the ice melted slowly yet inexorably. As they grew older, much of their time was spent moving stores in or out of the caves, but there were special times in the winter when they would gather fresh snowfall to be stored. 
Catherine and Chase had spent wonderful days packing the snow into all kinds of shapes and storing them within the caves. As she harnessed Charger, tears gathered in her eyes, but she refused to let them fall. By the force of her will, she held them in check, determined to be strong. It was something she had learned from Chase, and it seemed that now it was a skill she would need to master. Only the tremble of her chin escaped her control, and she hoped her father and Benjamin didn't notice. Outside, they waited in the preternatural light that gave the world an almost greenish hue. Heavy clouds threatened rain, and it seemed unlikely that the fog would burn off as it did on most days. Katrin held Charger's head as Benjamin and her father slid the shafts of the wagon through the loops on the harness. While they secured the breast collar to the shafts, the power of her will began to fade. Tears streamed down her cheeks, and her lip quivered noticeably. She hoped the men would simply climb into the wagon and leave without the need for her to speak, but she doubted it, and she chastised herself for showing such weakness. Staying to mind the farm was not so terrible. She's all hooked up, her father said as he climbed into the wagon's passenger seat beside Benjamin, leaving room for another. Get the barn door closed and check the gates. We need to get going. Catherine wiped her tears and ran to the barn, a smile forming on her face. Perhaps it was the fog. Perhaps her father figured no one would see her through the mist, but she did not care. Not only did he plan to let her go, the driver's seat was still vacant, and Catherine eyed it unsurely. Are you going to drive us there or not? Her father asked, his grin like a ray of sunshine. Yes, sir, she said as she climbed up. He handed her the lines and Catherine smacked Charger lightly on the rump with them while making a clucking noise with her tongue. Charger knew her business and moved out at a moderate pace. In the mist, Catherine had to use landmarks to guide her around obstacles but she knew the path well and had little trouble steering Charger along a clear path where she was not likely to trip. When they reached the place where the Harberton Trail met the Upland Trail, she turned Charger slowly and deliberately. The Upland Trail was narrow, and Catrin had never driven a wagon on it before. Parts of the trail were treacherous, and there were places she was hesitant to even ride salty. Driving a wagon was much more challenging. Move a little to the right, her father said. There's an old tree stump on the bend, and you don't want to hit it with the wheels. Charger never faltered, and, in truth, knew the way better than any of them. There were times that she corrected the path for Catrin before her father or Benjamin could even warn her of an upcoming obstacle. When they reached Viewline Pass, her father asked her to stop. Catrin pulled back on the lines until Charger stopped, then maintained moderate tension on the lines to keep her stopped. Charger was not accustomed to stopping here, and she fidgeted constantly. When she turned to her father, Catrin's gaze passed over the view that gave the pass its name. Below her, looking like an elaborate child's toy from the heights, was her homeland. The fog continued to blanket the land making it look like an ocean of white with emerald islands sailed by buildings that floated like ships. 
The illusion was difficult to break, but her father demanded her attention. When driving through the pass, you must be careful. Rocks often fall here, and we have no way of knowing if there is anything beneath this fog that could injure Charger. You must hold the lines with confidence and authority here. Charger fears the rock formations that will flank her through the pass, and she often jumps sideways for reasons only she knows. Let her know that you are in control, and she will follow you instead of her fear. Understand? Yes, sir. You can do this, little miss, Benjamin added. You just have to know you can do it. With a strange mixture of pride and trepidation, Katrin urged Charger slowly forward. Small rocks caught under the wagon wheels, but Charger showed her worth and pulled the wagon over the obstacles. It made for a bumpy ride, but there was little to be done about it. As Charger reached the place where the rocky peaks flanked her, her ears began to flip forward and back, and when she turned her head, Katrin could see the whites around her eyes. Make her follow you. Let her know you're in control. Her father's words bolstered her confidence, and she held the lines firmly but without fear. Charger still sidestepped and pranced, but Katrin maintained control. Soon they were beyond the pass and the way became easier again. You've done well, Benjamin said, and Wendell nodded his agreement. From the two of them, it was high praise, and Katrin beamed. When they reached the cold caves, they found it was among the few places not still mired in fog. The main entrance was invisible until one reached the rock face where it hid. Between two mighty slabs of stone stood a chasm just wide enough for a horse, but nothing larger to fit through. Benjamin tied Charger to a stake they had driven into the stone many years before. Benjamin and I will load the wagon, Wendell said. Most of what we're after today is heavy. Go back to our personal stores and get what you would like to have for your camping trip. Katrin wasted no time. Without another thought, she was bounding through caves, passing through the network of corridors that were like old friends. There were some of the deeper tunnels that Katrin had never really liked, but she had most of the place memorized. When she reached the area her father reserved for their storage, she sifted through and grabbed what she thought the others would enjoy as well. After loading her supplies in the wagon, she did her best to help her father and Benjamin. Despite the hard work and sweat that ran into her eyes, it was the most fun she had had in a long time. Only the strange looks from those to whom they made deliveries threatened to spoil her mood. But most of the people they saw were friends of her father, and none treated her with anything but kindness. Albeit awkward kindness. For Katrin, it was good enough. Only at the end of the day, as the darkness began to creep back over the road, did her fears return. The hairs on the back of her neck stood as she passed the thicket of trees bathed in shadows. The feeling of being watched was overwhelming. Katrin was barely able to resist the urge to push Charger for more speed, but she knew that the horse had put in a full day's work, and it would be unfair to ask more of her. The ill feelings persisted, and Katrin hoped that Benjamin and her father did not sense her fear. Miss Maris heard all the gossip, 
She knew where in the inn to be if she wanted to hear the conversation at a specific table. Much of the inn had been designed around this purpose, though most would never have guessed it. Simple things, such as a knothole in the common room floor that continued through a bored-out log all the way to the cellar, made her task a great deal easier. Her exceptional hearing gave her the advantage of being able to attend the work of running her in, all the while collecting valuable information. Whether Katrin was the herald of Istra or not remained to be proven in Miss Maris's mind, but either way there would be much work to do. Everyone in Harberton was tense and afraid, and that alone had far-reaching effects. If it turned out that incident in the clearing were simply a freak occurrence, she would be just as happy, though she knew Katrin would never escape the stigma. Still, that seemed far better than the alternative. Far better indeed. That concludes this episode of Call of the Herald. For more information and additional downloads, visit brianrathbone.com. Thank you for listening.